It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 7th, the Toddler Rabies Edition. I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in the Bay Area, and the father to Georgia, who was 13, and Ezra, who was 15. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is now 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And Gabe is out today, so it's just going to be Rebecca and me, so strap in for a weird show. (laughs) We're going to get weird. Uh, Today on the show, we've got a question about toddler tantrums recorded live in the midst of a toddler tantrum, what we call live tape in the business, and a question about explaining your estranged relationship to your kids, plus triumphs and fails and recommendations. But first, triumphs and fails. Rebecca, did you have a triumph this week or a fail? I am going to give credit to my son, Henry, for this one. I believe he had a mini triumph. And if I if I may, because this is like completely um, speaking to something that happened on this late Facebook group this week. This is a super privileged triumph. And I know it. But I'm going to talk about it anyway, unapologetically, (laughs) because it wasn't me. It was my kid. And you just have to trust me that he's aware of, like, how ridiculous this is. But this definitely falls in the category of, like, kids taking care of shit themselves without involving adults when it's not necessary. And that's the kind of thing that I really like. So um, the first semester of Henry's senior year is now over. They've now in the second half of the year. The grades have closed. All their grades are being sent to their colleges now. And, um, you know, they can't, like, now just start fucking up willy-nilly, like, you know, because the grades have been sent, because clearly colleges still care what happens. But they do have this nice day. Um, it's kind of tradition in his high school of, like, the teachers in classes that are mostly seniors, like, just give the kids a chance to just, like, chill for a day. Just, like, today we're just going to talk and just be cool and talk about what you're up to and what you've been thinking about. And it's just I, it's just kind of nice. It's like a nice, like, rhythmic thing that these teachers are really good at doing. Mm-hmm. So one of the mm-hmm. things that came up, apparently, like an AP bio or whatever on this chill day of after the first semester being closed was that all these seniors were sitting sitting around talking and complaining about how – A senior privilege that they have been waiting for their entire high school careers is being ruined by thoughtless underclassmen who are parking in the senior parking spaces and thereby like ruining this thing that they've been looking forward to being able to do like their whole high school career. So, you know, there's like these bastards. Yeah, I know. Sons of bitches, right? So there's these few spaces that are, like, reserved (laughs) senior parking. And I guess the thinking is that, like, it's a hierarchical bullshit high school thing, but, like, it is what it is. And if you're an underclassman, you just got to park over on the dirt under the trees. And if you're a senior, you get to park, like, in the paved part of the parking lot. So um, in talking this over with his friends, his one of his friends was like, you know, we should, like, complain to the school. We should get them to enforce this. And Henry was like, no, what we should do is enact our own commission and take care of this ourselves. So 
he, along with a couple of his friends, wrote up little parking tickets that said, and he gave me permission to read this to you. (laughs) (laughs) Student, please remember that the parking policy stipulates that the office reserves the right to revoke the privilege to park on school grounds at any time. The island neighboring the Green Line parking section is reserved for seniors. Any non-seniors found parking in said area are subject to suspension of parking privileges. We respectfully ask that any violating these rules begin parking in areas designated for non-seniors, yellow-lined parking for juniors, unpaved areas for sophomores and freshmen. Your cooperation is much appreciated. Thank you. The Senior (laughs) Commission on Parking Enforcement... (laughs) (laughs) wow i did point out to him though by the way the ticket does sound a little bit like the school wrote it and he was like that's why we wanted to be clear at the end we just wanted to uh, (laughs) remind everyone but anyway i know that there's like lots of layers of stuff in there and i i did kind of give him crap for like like who are you to police your you know co-students or whatever and he was like your son's an actual cop is basically (laughs) that's what i said i was like like parking narc that's Well, he actually, uh, he actually, as senior class president, he actually um, deputized a couple of other students to be oh, the parking wow. commissioners. Yes, commissioner. he he prefers to brand it as, um, <laughs> you know, he's he's using his agency as an elected mm-hmm. official <laughs> to to enforce existing policy. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, we could yes. have all sorts of issues with criminal justice complaints and and all sorts of like complicated stuff here. But for me, the takeaway was you guys had a problem. And you like you solved it. Well, maybe. I mean, they, they might all get suspended for like <laughs> enforcing rules when they're not allowed to do that. Who knows? But like, I was just impressed that they took the initiative and handled it like on their own without bothering people who have better things to do than telling juniors where to park. You know? Right. No, I see that, and I, I think I also think that like it, it, it's like a really craftily worded letter. I mean, <laughs> what he's really what he's really <laughs> expressing is that he's really catching on all the important things of like power and like whiteness, basically like exactly. passive aggression, sort of like <laughs> hinting that you're going to involve the authorities, but not actually do, just like he's really nailing his system here. It's really good. It's impressive. And the other thing I like about it is that he doesn't actually, it threads the needle because it doesn't actually threaten anything no. or take any action. It simply just makes the person feel like they've run afoul of authority on some level. And so for the it's people like who have a response to authority that's like where they're like, oh, I, I don't want anyone to think I'm bad, they're gonna be they're gonna be like, you know, they're gonna have a feeling about that. Now, the kid who like can't wait to be like, fuck you, authority, is just gonna <laughs> read that and be like, oh man, this is like a <laughs> gift. This is a gift. I can't decide if I should piss on this, set it on fire, like there's so many options. <laughs> Well, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I, I will say, like, this was not his complaint. It was a classmate that came to him with a complaint, and he, and he was like, yeah, and he, uh, "Let's let's fix this. Let's he not." Responded let's... to the needs of his constituency. I like That's that. right. <laughs> the needs of yeah, his constituency. I'm like, what the hell else are you guys gonna do? Like, <laughs> at this point in the <laughs> That's year. Good. That's good. I like it. <laughs> he had All his right. first ever. Um, he, like, he's a musician, right? He plays the drums. For the first yeah. time in the history of his life, I came home from work early yesterday, and there were three kids with guitars leaving the house. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, we were just, like, jamming. We were practicing. And I'm like, wow. guys, you guys really don't give a shit anymore, do you? Like, you're not, like, doing your yeah. homework. You're done. Like, it was. it's very funny. Yeah. So, yeah, this was just another yeah, chapter absolutely- in the— 
<laughs> yeah, I absolutely hit that hit that point in my senior year where I just remember the worst example of it. And this was after we got admissions letters. I didn't do this before admissions letters, but after we, I guess I could have. But after we finally got admissions letters and I found out that I was going to NYU, I just remember sitting in some class and it was the middle of the day. And I took I got up to use the bathroom and I just kept walking and went to McDonald's. <laughs> I sat at McDonald's for like an hour and a half. <laughs> what are they going to do? Revoke your admission like I literally, I was walking down. I was, exactly, I was walking down the hall to the bathroom, and I was like, "Actually, I could just keep going because it doesn't matter anymore." I had this like great moment of revelation. So, shout out to the seniors who who that moment when you get senioritis when it finally hits you. It is a beautiful thing. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, so your son's a cop, and uh, my son is a nerd, which I, which is my child. which is so ironic because he actually is so anti-authoritarian. Like he's such a rebel, like in his like rhetoric, like he's so politically savvy and like totally gets it. And he's like he like worked on this innocence project thing for like his independent study. Like he's into criminal justice reform, and that's why I was giving him so much shit. Yeah, he's a cop. He's a fucking cop. Not, Let's yeah, be not real. Become the authorities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, there should be some penalties. All we have to do, we should just lock them up for a day just to teach them a lesson. Um, <laughs> all right, so my son... Uh, Give him bail. My son, <laughs> yeah, my son, I'm, I'm going to call this a triumph because, uh, as everyone knows, my son has had quite the journey academically, or rather, we've had the journey academically. He's been fine. We as parents <laughs> have just been sort of flabbergasted. That, that a son of ours isn't just automatically a straight-A student. We don't know what's going on. He's obviously really smart. His teachers all love him, but he doesn't do his work, and he struggled, and blah, blah, blah. So we've gone on. This has been the case since whenever. It's old hat to us now. And so one of the things about that is that we always get emails. Like, we get—I have lost track. You know, just, what, six to ten emails a semester from a teacher who's like, well, I, you know, and I just—Ezra hasn't done this, and just want to let you know that he's not paying attention in class— and it's to the point where Joe and I are just like, you want to take this one? Should I? You know, we we get on these like phone calls with the teacher and they start explaining everything like it's the first time we've heard it. And we literally have to cut them off and be like, look, we're just going to save you time. We don't know what to do. He's a great kid. He's not. He doesn't pay attention in class. We can't make him. Good luck. You know what I mean? Like we can't help. And so it's got to a point where that's just the thing. And like. I feel as I've watched him operate in the world and seen him put put things together, I feel confident that he's going to figure out how to do what he needs to do in the world. And so I'm less mm. stressed about his academic stuff than I used to be because I can see all the potential and everything working well for him. He just doesn't, the school thing just doesn't work for him. He just doesn't like it. He's against it philosophically, emotionally, physically, personally. He just He just can't get himself to care. So he's going to do whatever. Maybe he'll take a GED and go out into the world, and then when he has to pay rent, he'll figure out what he has to do. I don't. Who knows what he's going to do? I mean, at this point, he's going to be fine. I feel confident in that. But the victory that we, the triumph that we got is that we always get emails from his teachers, and they're always negative. And to this last week, we got the following email from his English teacher, and I'm going to read it. Hi, all. I just wanted to inform you quickly of how proud I've been of Ezra in English over the past month. I've always known he was a critically thinking student, but at the beginning of the year, his work ethic wasn't really there. 
Now, however, he's starting to combine his deep intellect with studious habits and a sense of engagement that is translating into true academic success. His most recent writing assignment blew me away with the high level of structural and conceptual growth. I can tell he's really taking my feedback and advice seriously, and I just wanted to send a note home to keep encouraging this determination that I'm seeing in the classroom. And... It was just so great. And I got that email, and immediately I went and read it to Ezra. Framed it. Uh, and I just, I <laughs> framed it. Had it engraved. Got it tattooed on my eyelids so that I can see it every night. Laminated it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I laminated my laptop. I've, I've lamin- I framed the entire internet. Um, and uh, and it's just is like, it's just cool. And, like, I read it to him, and, like, he of course tried to act like, well, you know, whatever, I don't care. But he could, you could totally see him kind of getting, just puffing his chest out a little bit and getting a little bit of like blushing going on. And uh, it just was like we never get positive emails from his teachers. Yeah. And they, when we talk to them personally, they all love him as a person. But they always they don't send home home emails to say we love Ezra as a person. He's what a great kid. Even though they say that in person, they send emails to say he's not doing it. He's not doing right. He's not doing what we want him to do. And so it just becomes negative feedback on top of negative feedback. And I hate that for him. And yeah. I am ashamed to the ways that as a parent I've contributed to that. And so now I'm really trying to reverse course and like highlight the things that are positive about him because ultimately. There's way more good going on for him. Like, so he's not a student at this point, whatever. Like, he'll be fine. And uh, <clears throat> and I just, so I was, you know, and but he's also reaching that point where he's starting to see that this is not a game, that he's got to figure mm. out what he's going to do. He's got to, you know, college is like a real thing and he's got to stop dicking around. And I don't know if he's going to be able to sort of turn the whole barge around. I have my doubts, but I also can see that he's, he he has his own motivations now, and that's the only thing that's ever worked. He cannot be extrinsically motivated, that kid. He just yeah, he's, he can't be. Teddy's exactly like Teddy. They're like the same, made of yeah. the same stuff. I, I had like one yeah. good parent-teacher conference this year with him. I think I talked, I talked about it on the show, and then it's like all been downhill in terms of caring about the school. <laughs> totally, like, totally. He just does not care. And I, there's nothing one yeah. can do to make him care. There's like nothing. You can say, yeah. if you don't do well in school, you know, you're not going to be able to go to music camp. And he's like, oh, that's really too bad. I was looking forward to music camp. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, totally why would you withhold like, music camp well, it if it's not actually I'm a concert? <laughs> exactly. It's totally. like, you do do well in music <laughs> camp, so that would be actually a stupid thing to withhold because that it's an academic exactly. experience that he enjoys. Like... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one who's reached that point where it's like, what's the worst case scenario here, right? The worst case scenario is that he yeah. works retail for a few years after high school and like needs more time to figure stuff out. The worst case scenario is that he does just does something completely different that hasn't been invented yet. Like, we don't know, right? <laughs> so I'm trying, I'm like you, I'm just trying to be chill about it. We always joke that the worst case scenario is that he's going to be, you know, he's going to be living in George's pool house for like three years <laughs> rent free. <laughs> when, when George is making 13 figures a year. But um, but it also it also, you know, I mean, like we parented both the kids the same, but they just they have different personalities. That's just the reality of it. And like it's hard for us to be too hard on ourselves about it because we're just like, look, I mean. 
When I was a kid, you got extrinsically motivated through basically violence or threat of violence. That was basically yeah. the final thing. And even that did that worked for me, but that still didn't work for a bunch of kids. So that probably it would have worked for me even if it, that wasn't a threat. And because I was more like Georgia in that sense, in the sense that I wanted to please people and wanted to like impress people and wanted everyone to give me gold stars and pats on the back. And I was super motivated by that. Ezra could not care for your gold stars any less than he does. And so he only wants to do what's important to him. And, uh, and so I can't, I mean, I could, you know, I could try to be gorilla dad and like threaten him to beat him up and everything if he doesn't do what I want. But that's obviously completely out of line (laughs) with my values and with good parenting and completely like over, like an over response to the situation. So without that, I don't have a lot to extrinsically motivate him. And apparently I don't need it. He's going to do what he's going to do. And, you know, we're going to do our best. And, uh. You know, we don't have the money or home life to support him into his 30s, like living in our basement or something. That's not going to happen. So he's going to yeah. have to get the hell out there and figure out what the fuck he's doing. And maybe then he'll put two and two together. So God bless him. I love that. Kid. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, this is like the thing that I always think about when we have this conversation. Isn't mm-hmm. it? I, I think we have the ability to be more relaxed about it because we have another kid who's not the same, right? So we're able to, on yeah. some level, to be like, totally. it's not a hundred percent my fault. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's or a there, really I mean, good point. Or, You're right about that. Yeah, yeah and I, I always think like, if I only had Teddy. Because the other thing, like, I was motivated as a kid by not being embarrassed with my friends because I didn't care about school at Mm -hmm. all. And, like, I was, you know, Mm -hmm. I was a bad student. I had ADHD. But I also, there was social standing in being in classes with your friends and in not getting, like, you know, and not getting kicked out of, like, an honors class or whatever. And that would keep me motivated enough where I was, like, just always passing at that level. But Teddy's two best friends, shout out Patrick and Tommy, are geniuses. They're probably going to be like valedictorian <laughs> and salutatorian. And Teddy does yeah. not care. He doesn't care. I'm like, don't yeah. you miss being in, yeah. in class with your friends? He's like, yeah, it would be cool, except uh, they're in honors classes and I'm not, so I guess it's not going to happen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're supposed to care. Yeah. But on this, on this, by the same token, like, I have another kid who's like, cares way more than I ever did or ever would. Yeah. And I, and I, if I, if I start taking credit 100% for that, which I know I can't, <laughs> like that's also that's right. wrong. You that's know right. what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I yeah. think it helps for all the parents out there who have one kid who's not motivated. Just so you know, it's probably not your fault. <laughs> it's probably not. It's probably not. not you. It's not. I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> they have their own thing. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Moving on, uh, we're going to do the business. And with starting that, we have exciting news. Slate is launching a parenting newsletter, which will be the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including Mom and Dad are Fighting, Care and Feeding with myself and Nicole Cliff, Ask a Teacher, Do It Up, My Parents, Work-Life Balance, and much, much more. That's going to be awesome. You can sign up for it at slate.com slash parenting email. 
As always, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, then you can leave a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at slate.com. Also, check out our Facebook presence. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really fun community, and we moderate it so it doesn't get out of control. Uh, and I encourage you to check it out. And in Slate Plus today, we're going to talk about, uh, inspired by the recent turn of events in in Virginia and so-called youthful indiscretions, we're going to have a discussion about how do we monitor our own children's social media for to keep them out of uh, making decisions now that may come back and haunt them in the future. We have all that, and to hear segments like that and more, and to get ad-free podcasts, you want to sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program, and it's a great way to support us for just $35 in your first year. You can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. So, if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash plus to join Slate Plus today. Okay, onward. Time for our first question. This question was recorded by a listener via the Voice Memo app on her phone and then emailed to us. And if you'd like to email us an audio with your question, you can send it to momanddad at slate.com. Hi, Mom and Dad are Fighting. This is Annie, and I'm calling in regards to toddler tantrums. I have a just-turned-three-year-old, and she averages at least one tantrum a day. And it's uh, the kind where she's screaming and throws off all of our clothes and breaks things and somehow like foams from the mouth she gets all of the saliva to the front of her mouth and she pulls her hair and gets naked and kicks and um and it feels totally crazy i am calling to see if this is average toddler behavior um she is very smart and oftentimes very happy (laughs) but there are some days where nothing can be right and uh, these tantrums happen multiple times a day other days when when things go smoothly Um, just seeking your advice as to uh, the normalcy of this toddler behavior thank you (laughs) <laughs> wow that is a oh, work God. of art what a blast what from the past that? i mean you <laughs> i know my i just that last scream literally my central nervous system activated as though it were my child and that were happening in this moment i am traumatized <laughs> as i'm sure we all are what do you think rebecca you went through some t- tantrum stuff when you're yeah. a little, if I recall sounded correctly. a whole lot like that, actually. And it sounded like which mm-hmm. is, the spit thing, though. That's a new detail that I never had to deal with. But I like that. <laughs> the little <laughs> foaming at the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming you've gotten your daughter tested for rabies <laughs> at this point. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding, of course. I don't know. I mean, what I, I it's, it's familiar to me because what she's describing is that awful dead space between when especially really bright kids can communicate that their expectations haven't been met uh, and (laughs) that 
and like being able to not cope with those expectations. Like it's a very slim window where kids are smart mm. enough to have expectations but can't yet communicate that those expectations aren't being met. So, but that's, I mean, I've always believed, and this is what I was always told, because Henry sounds, uh, when he was a little kid, very much like this. He would ruin our whole day with his extreme Mm -hmm. anger. He would run out of the house, you know, he would tear plants out of the garden. I remember him doing that one day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, um, you know, I mean, it was one point where we were just like, you know, I I remember just like laughing, like just dropping on the kitchen floor, starting to laugh because like yeah. the absurdity of the anger. I remember when he was a baby and I could still pick him up and carry him around during a tantrum. Uh, one trick that I learned was to open the freezer door, like stand with him and open the freezer door. And that little blast of cold air would just like send the mm-hmm. sensory of the blast of cold air. We just like shake him out for a second and just like break the spell because mm. it is like a spell that they get under. Yes. <laughs> um Yes. But what I really think is was key to sort of being able to, and I don't know if it, I don't think it fixes it, but is to sort of help you understand it and maybe just think of new ways to cope and tools to use is understanding what's happening. I believe, and this is what happened with my kid, I believe, is that there's some expectation of a reality that is different from the reality that is being presented. So, you Mm -hmm. know, Henry was famous for having this kind of anger, like if you handed him the wrong shirt or if you cut his sandwich in triangles instead of squares or if, Mm -hmm. you know, the orange juice had pulp (laughs) or, you know, these tiny Mm -hmm. little things that were just like I had it. This is the way it was going to be in my head, but this is now what it is. And it's not the same as the way it is in my head. And I just cannot cope with that. But I also don't have the communication skills to express that in any other way besides running out of the house and pulling plants out of the garden. Um, and I think for a kid this age, like that conversation, the, I understand this isn't what you expected. Like that's, you're already in in it. So I think what's really important to do as much as possible is to be very clear about what is going to happen as often as you possibly can, even with small things and just get the kid to acknowledge that they've heard you, even if they don't understand every step you've said, but like the whole, okay, now what we're going to do is, you know, you're in bed, it's 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 morning time, everyone's waking up, and everything's good and happy and the tantrum isn't happening. That is the moment to say, okay, here's what today is going to look like. First, we're going to put on your left sock, then we're going to put on your right sock, then we're going to put on your pants, then we're going to get ready for school, then we're going to make lunch. What would you like for lunch? And get them to buy into as many of these agreements about what the day is going to look like as possible. Mm. And that way, some mm-hmm. of this stuff maybe won't come as much of a shock. But if it does, you can always fall back on the, oh, remember, we talked about this part. And then if you realize you didn't, it's a learning opportunity for you to realize these are the kinds of expectations that I I need to add to the list. And it does take time and patience, and you're not going to be able to do it every day. But that's what I did. It worked for me somewhat. And it also helped me develop a communication style that worked later when Henry got a little older and he was more communicative. uh, We were able to sort of use some of those patterns to help with his anger as he got to be like seven and eight. And then Ultimately, he finally grew out of it, and now he's super chill, except for being a cop. Um, <laughs> man, <laughs> super that chill piece of tape. As, he, as he writes tickets to his classmates. <laughs> as he deputizes someone to write tickets to his classmates, okay? <laughs> um, anyway, what do you think, yeah, no, I, no, I think everything you said was right. I mean, I, the, the, the spiritual center of this question is like, 
is this normal and why is this happening? And like, you know, I, she said the kid was about to turn three, just below three. Is that what it is? Mm, I think if that's I, right, if yeah. I remember the age correctly. Yeah. So, yes, the answer is when a kid is about to turn three and, you know, in those early years, it's, yes, things go on in the house that are horrifying. Like kids behave in ways that are just unbelievably ridiculous. Like they're they're like they're getting naked, breaking things. I mean, it's like every kid does different stuff. We didn't have the getting naked thing, but I've heard that from enough parents to know that that's a thing that some kids do, and that suggests that you know I don't know maybe there's like sensory stuff happening for the kid where they experience discomfort in the clothes against their skin. They're already agitated in this. They're like this shit isn't helping. You know, <laughs> fucking like Elmo sweater against my the crook of my arm is driving me fucking crazy. And, you know, and so and that's that's legit. Like we don't, you know, as adults, we learn to put up with that stuff as kids. We don't know that yet. And so the foaming at the mouth, the breaking stuff is something that you definitely try to address. And I think that so the, the first thought I had about this is that. I always think of parenting as a long game, and so you're laying foundations. The pr- The reason kids have tantrums is because they have strong feelings, but they don't have strong language. And so the only language they understand is the is they, one of the available forms of language is yelling and throwing a tantrum. And so part of what you want to do is you want to give your kid, you want to help your kids in the process of gathering language to say what they need to say. A lot of times, tantrums are about needing to express something. So you want to give your kids language to express stuff. You want to say, you're really upset right now um, because you thought there was going to there was going to be a blue cup and the blue cup is in the dishwasher and it's not clean and and or, or whatever. And so we have to use the red cup. And I, that is very frustrating. I understand. like, And so that you're giving them, not because you're just sort of agreeing or going along with them or letting them control you or whatever, but because you're helping them find words so that they can say these things they still through tears, but they can say these things next time. Um, I also think that part of the long game thing is that I felt like with our kids, it was important to distinguish the difference between that all feelings are okay, but not all behaviors are okay. And I think making that distinction between feelings and behavior is something that we felt strongly about. And of course, they don't get that like at almost three. That's like, you know, but we started, we, we held that as like the standard of behavior in our house that like, if you're upset, if you're angry, if you hate your brother, if you hate your parents, it's just, if you want to do this and you want to smash the thing, that's all okay. But the behaviors themselves are actually what we try to avoid. So we have to find different ways to deal with those very valid and real feelings. But we got to find a different way to deal with them than breaking things or smashing things or yelling and screaming at people. You don't just say that once before they turn three and then they just are like, cool, I got it. And then they go around (laughs) being organized, emotionally organized for the rest of their lives. But you're laying that foundation. It helps to give you some order. And it helps, I think, as a parent, you know the difference between what is is acceptable and what isn't. Um, And the third thing I was going to say about this is that you're trying to minimize these things are normal. You're trying to have fewer of them and you're trying to have them be less horrific. And that's all all you're trying, and, and you're going to make some progress in that, and time is going to make the most progress in that because the kids are going to learn how to, like, have things go their way without throwing stuff, and they're going to find that much better. But the third thing is that we noticed with our kids that transitions were a really big deal. Transitions were always really hard. Everything was a transition from the car to the to the house. 
like coming out of the car. We went to the park. We were at the park. It was great. Good time at the park. Now we got everyone in the car. Then we get to the car. Then we get to the house. And that transition from the driveway to the living room was a thing. It was like a Mm. real big thing. And kids struggled with that. And I know that I, as an adult, struggle with that. I had to learn that transitions are hard for me. But I learned it from watching my kids, especially Ezra, who really struggled with transitions, you know. And so he he would freak out if we got – so we, I would think that it was all good. I'd pick him up, take him in the house, and set him down. Now I'm going to make you warm up the milk or whatever the thing I was, I was going to do. And then he would just freak out about some little thing. And I'd be like, why is he freaking out? But I started realizing that it's because this transition is a big deal. So to Rebecca's point, what I started learning to do was we'd be sitting in the driveway and I'd say, hey, so here's what we're going to do now. We're going to go in the house. What do you think about that? Okay. And then we're going to make you some milk. Anything about that? And then you can watch a little bit of the, you know, and like, and then we're going to, we're going to change clothes because this is kind of dirty. Oh, you don't want to do that? That's fine. We don't have to do that now. Let's do that a little bit later. How about we do it before dinner? Just that working through and talking through you're not going to get full buy-in, but again, you're building language, you're building cognition, and you're keeping yourself connected to their cycles so that you can at least have some kind of give and take, some back and forth in your communication. All that being said, none of this is going to guarantee no tantrums. Tantrums are normal and they happen at this phase. I mean, horrible, ugly, earth-shattering, neighborhood-rocking tantrums are normal. And so the main thing I want to tell you is that it's okay. You're doing a great job as a parent. Just keep doing what you're doing, and you'll be surprised. At, at so, I mean, you heard Rebecca and I laughing about this years later because we're out of this phase. It mm. just went away. Not because we're great parents. It just it, it went away. It went away for all the parents, everyone. The shitty parents, the good parents, the people in between. The tantrum stopped for everyone because that's just what they do. So I just want to give you that encouragement. Uh, just one tiny thing I'll add because everything you said is completely mm-hmm. right. Like the irony of a tantrum is it's like the point at which you hate your kid the most, but it's also the point at which they could use a hug <laughs> the most. <laughs> like, Aww. And it is amazing Aww. how sometimes it, even just understanding that you said the feelings are real, are, are, are real, but that not every behavior is OK. But like understanding mm-hmm. the realness of those feelings does really help you develop the empathy to sometimes when they are at their very worst, just like wrap your arms around them and say just like, I love you mm. and it's OK and I know this hurts, even if what you're hurting about is really fucking stupid. Like, I know it hurts and give them that hug. And sometimes that can also break the, you know, sort of reassurance that like at my worst, you still love me is part of that sort of shaping of this, too. And um, I don't know. (laughs) Carvel's right. It it will get less and less. And what you played for us did sound awfully familiar. (laughs) Yeah. Our second question that we have today comes to us by email. And if you want to ask us a question, you can send us a note at slate.com. And this question is being read for us by Shasha Leonar. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I have a son who is six turning seven and a daughter who just turned five. I had a falling out with my parents when my daughter was two years old, and we haven't talked since. The actual incident that caused it is beyond ridiculous and basically stemmed from my mom being upset that I was not Facebook friends with her, but obviously things were much deeper than that. My mom and I never really had an open line of communication, and our relationship was mostly based on me being obligated to follow her rules and family hierarchy. After I had my kids, we were bickering a lot more. My responsibilities changed, and she didn't really help me out with the kids, so I grew closer to my in-laws. The red line was crossed for me when she refused to visit my sister in the hospital after her baby was born. 
She was upset because she didn't get a text with a picture of the baby, and the mother-in-law did. It confounds me that she could get so offended when that day should have been about my sister and this new life coming into the world. It was, and still is, very hard to accept and cope with the reality of my parents not being in my life anymore. I can say it is very likely we will never speak again. My mom has a twin that she also hasn't spoken to for 30 years. My question is, how do I explain this to my kids? Do I tell them they will probably not see grandma and grandpa again? Do I explain why? My son has asked, and I said that sometimes it's hard to share all of our time with all of our friends and family. But I know the day will come when they will really want to know why we don't see them. My sister and I also haven't spoken. She claims it's my fault I didn't cater enough to my mom. I feel like she enables my mom and justifies her hurtful behavior. I understand her position because she still really needs my mom. I am willing to let her go because I just feel like her behavior will strain my family. And she has ignored my son in public just because she's upset. I am done. I fear, though, that my kids will see this as me giving up. That the security in which a family should have is broken and flawed. How and when should I talk to my kids about this? Thank you. So I really relate to this question. As um, folks who know me know, I have very fraught relationships with some of my parents. I have many parents because my parents remarried and and stuff and were divorced. And I'm close with my in-laws. My mom and I have a relationship that's up and down. I'm very much estranged from my dad. Uh, I'm happy to report that my relationship with my sisters has improved a lot in the last few years, but it was made complicated by our differing relationships with our parents, especially one of my sisters in particular. my kids have the opportunity and are allowed, and I don't have never discouraged them from forming their own relationship with my dad um, with boundaries, <laughs> uh, very, very uh, set boundaries. For instance, um, you know, there might have been times where like I wouldn't be cool with him picking up in the car and, and going places and it not being like really concrete and all that stuff. But that's those are all details. But the situation that this writer in her is describing is very familiar to me and the dynamics are very familiar. And the one thing that I really want to say here is that the sense of guilt that comes from deciding to become estranged from family members or cutting off those relationships, that sense of guilt very much comes from seeing intact uh, families that have good relationships and having good relationships, for example, with your in-laws. I know that when I got together with Kevin, I really, really love his family. They're just super easy. His parents are just extremely supportive, very easygoing, no strings attached, would cut off their right arm for you kind of people, the kind of parents that I think all of us aspire to be, you know, when when our kids become adults. Um And so for a period of time, I did try once again to, like, rekindle this thing with my dad and and try to make it look more like maybe it was me. Maybe I just need to get over it. Maybe we could have something that looks like this. We couldn't. I mean, it just turns out we couldn't. Like, he's not good for me. The relationship is not good for me. Um, There's just, like, a lot of things there that sound similar to what you've described here. So I think it's important to acknowledge where that that feelings of guilt come from and then to let them go. Because here's the thing, like, you did not choose your mom. You were born. She She's the one who chose to have kids. You did not choose the person to whom you were born. You did not choose the people that who's that are that surround you as family. But when you're an adult, you do get to choose which relationships 
add to your life and which relationships make your life harder. And you do get to to draw those boundaries and make those decisions. And it is my firm opinion that that is an excellent example to set for your kids. Because if the message that you send to your kids is family is allowed to abuse you, no matter what, just because they're family, they are allowed to mistreat you. They're allowed to make you cry. They're allowed to be crappy to you. They're allowed to be petty. They're allowed to hold grudges for years over nothing. They're allowed to make you sad. They're allowed to take away from the quality of your life. We allow that all just because they're family. What you're teaching your kids is that family is allowed to abuse you, <laughs> and period. And if that's not a lesson you want them to know, if that's not something you want them to indoctrinate, if that's not something that you want them to like absorb internally, then feel good about that decision to not have those relationships and feel good about just saying that, that, you know, just because someone's in your family doesn't mean that they're also not good for you. I think your kids are a little bit young right now, and I'm guessing the questions that they're asking may just be those comparison questions because they see, you know, your in-laws, but they don't see your mom. Uh, So they just may be wondering, like, whatever happened to grandma so-and-so. And I think it is completely appropriate to say, you know what, we're just not we don't really have I don't know I don't, I don't know, Carvel maybe you could help me phrase this like yeah, um, no, you're a wordsmith but like you know that, that, well, oh, not with we, this one I'm not yeah like we don't have hard. the same kind of relationship yeah. with grandma so and so as we have with grandma so and so so yeah we're not just seeing her as much right now and just leave it there and as they get older I think it's okay to let them in a little bit on the you know as I did with my kids when they got a little bit older saying like this relationship isn't good for me. And it was, you know, it, it was it's just a dynamic that I don't think is healthy. And I always wanted to make sure that like we have the kind of family where we always feel like we can talk to each other and be open. And I didn't want to create a situation where I was pretending like something was OK when it wasn't OK. Like that was how I described it later when my kids got older. And um, but when they were younger and they did ask those questions, I did. I did give them appropriate answers sort of like the, along the same lines. You give appropriate answers around sex when your kids are little and they ask. You don't get like super explicit, but you just say, Mm -hmm. you know, use the correct body part language and just talk about privacy and all that stuff. Use those (laughs) that kind of thinking to inform this. But I don't think that you need to worry about their long term thinking, because at five and six, like kids aren't thinking, wow, what is going to look like for me in 20 or 25 years? Like, is grandma going to be at my (laughs) wedding? Like, I promise your kids aren't Mm -hmm. thinking about that right now. So you don't need to have that conversation right now. Yeah, I think that's all right. I mean, I don't I think you know a lot more about this Rebecca than I do and and I think that, you know, my experience was that like my kids didn't ask a whole super duper lot about any of this stuff when they were little and and I think that to the extent that they did, we were able to more or less just say, uh, yes, your grandmother lives here and your grandfather lives here. And this is what they do and this is what they're like. And just we sort of told them stuff about the people in general. But I didn't talk a whole lot about our particular relationship. And I felt that that didn't really come up for them until really much, much later. Like I don't remember, you know, them. I felt like them knowing who these people were (laughs) and being able to talk and understand some facts about them and get a picture maybe or two of them, which is something I was willing to do. I th- I feel like that actually covered a lot of what kids needed to know before they went off and got distracted by whatever the next thing was that was on their little minds. And I didn't have to go, for me, it might have brought up all kinds of layered and heavy shit, but it turns out it didn't really bring that much layered and heavy shit for them, and I was projecting a lot of it. And I don't know if that's what's happening here, but I just wanted to throw out that that could be a suggestion for this age. 
I think as they age, they'll ask more, and I think you can be honest. I think you can say, I actually don't have a close relationship with my mom. Yep. <laughs> we don't get that's, along. That's a, that's a very and simple way to put it. <laughs> that's, you know, because it, it's the truth. And if they say why we don't get along, say well, you know we we've, we've had a lot of difficulties, and she does, and 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 we fight sometimes, and I I think it's hard for both of us, and so we don't spend a lot of time together, and which is true, and that's basically you know, um, and all, then as they grow more, because I think a lot of what happens when you're when you're when you have little kids is you start thinking, well, what's going to happen when the kid is eight? What's going to happen when they're 13? And what am I going to do when they're 17? What about that? And I think that as they grow more, the other thing to remember is that they will want to figure out their own relationships around these things. They will want to know more about your sister and they will want to know more about your grandmother. And they may want to find that stuff out on their own. They may uh, they may reach out to cousins. They may want to connect with people on Facebook and Instagram and whatever future futuristic social networking is happening then. And uh, they're going to pursue their own thing. They may even go stay with your grandmother on their own or meet her. And they may find out, oh my God, this is this is this woman is horrible. No wonder my <laughs> mother doesn't get along with her. Or they may be like. Eh, my mother like it's kind of like whatever i don't have a problem with her i can see that mom doesn't get along with her and i get that but she seems fine to me this is great that could happen and you get to those are all possibilities but you don't have to plan for or worry about or sort of like set in motion any of those things right now mm. right now you can just say the 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 minimum the smallest amount of truth that you have to say in order for the conversation to happen and the truth is you don't get along with your mother right now and so you don't have a good you don't have a relationship with her and that's just <laughs> that's the reason because you guys don't make each other feel good and you make each other feel upset and so you don't spend time together right <laughs> and that's the end of the story right and so yeah i mean I, it's a terrible thing and i'm really sorry that this is happening all that said i will just <laughs> throw something out which i am very much debating about throwing out the it is i, I I don't know. I know what you're going to say, by the way. I I know what you're going to say. I know you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So uh, I (laughs) – one of the things about being an advice person is that you read people's letters and everyone in their letters says, I was innocently doing this and the other people were these terrible people and they did this terrible thing. And you sort of know that that's not – you have to figure out based on all context clues – how much that is probably representative of whatever happened. And I don't know, and this, you know, I I get this mother sounds ridiculous and petty and horrific, and I can see why you're not friends with her. It does seem odd that if both your, you're estranged from both your mother and your sister, that maybe they're just both fucking terrible and you're right. Or maybe there's something there that you're struggling with being accepting of that isn't necessarily abuse. I don't know. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just throwing out there that that may be something to consider. I'm probably wrong, but I thought it was worth saying because I was always taught if you're dealing with one asshole, it's probably them. If you're dealing with three assholes, it's probably you or it's maybe you (laughs) because, you know, and so I don't know if that's the case here, but I just just wanted to flag that for this for this reader maybe the mom and sister are both terrible but there's not a lot described about what makes the sister bad other than she just is like well you're kind of mean to mom which yeah, I don't um, know you know anyway I, I <laughs> will say that I if, if she were talking about two people who were not her mother and her sister I think I would lean a little I mean I thought the same thing when I read it but then I also know my situation is that like the codependency of family does sometimes right. make it that you have to be estranged right. from more than one person that's just the way that it right. works because yeah. like if yeah, you yeah. have 
have an yeah. estranged relationship from one parent, and then you have a sibling who is reporting on your life to the parent with whom you have chosen to have an estranged relationship. Sometimes that really does change the relationship with the estranged parent. So, like, so I'll give you an example. So, my estranged uh, father, uh, I heard through the estrangement grapevine that he was recently uh, <laughs> that he was recently sick, that he had you know, had something happen and he wasn't mm. well. Mm-hmm. And my mother, with whom I have a fraught but a real relationship, uh, she's very interested mm-hmm. in knowing all these details because she's the kind of person who just likes to know things. You know, she just like wants yeah. to know. Like that's how she's like she traffics in information. So she kept asking me like. <laughs> What have you heard about your dad? What have you, because you know, they've been divorced for a million years, but they've still had intermittent contact throughout the years. And I was like, Mom, here's the deal the price you pay for choosing to be estranged from somebody is that you don't have the right to get details about what is happening with them, even when things are bad. Mm. When things are good or when they're bad or in between, like that is that there is a price. The price is that it's true. My dad might get hit by a car and I might not hear about it. Like that is the price. No. And I I know that sounds like really rough, but you have to get to a point like that. It just sounds sad. But it's true. But that's the thing to have to have the kind of peace where you can wake up in the morning and know that like this relationship is not going to wreck my day today. Like this relationship is Mm. not going to cause some trauma today. Like this relationship is not going to cause unnecessary drama that I cannot handle today. Like there is a price. And I think that part of the guilt of estrangement is is like is knowing that, like understanding that, Mm. like, you know, there might be occasions that in any other situation, like my father would be there. But the price that I'm paying for this estrangement and these like days and weeks and months and years of peace is that he won't be. And like, that's got to be okay. Like, it's got to be. Um, So there's a balance there, obviously, that's trickier. But, like, there are so many tricky things about this. And, like, so there's a whole thing where my sisters with whom I do have a good relationship, like, they know they can't communicate certain things to me. And I know they're going on, but it's, like, weird. So I think I, I, I'm willing to bet that, you know, yeah. I, I, I would I would side on the side of this whole drama thing being sure to describe it accurately. But what I hear and, like, a lot of the over-explanation of it, what I hear there is a lot of the guilt that accompanies these decisions. And... Mm. That guilt is part of it. It just is. And you just have to decide whether or not to feel it forever and continue to grapple with it or to let the guilt part go and then make the decisions that go with the upside of being able to breathe because these are not part of your daily life anymore. These people are not part of your daily life anymore. Yeah. And I will admit that I have a particular blind spot to this kind of stuff because I'm kind of I mean, I'm learning how not to do this, but I'm pretty I'm pretty like well-renowned for, like, putting up with shitty behavior from people much longer than you're supposed to. <laughs> and I and I totally, that's absolutely, absolutely a, f- a feature of my life. Like, you can look down the timeline and be like, wow, he put up with that person for super long. Wow, that person was involved. Wow, he dated that person. What the fuck? And that is definitely a thing that I have. And so, and part of what happens for me is I have this exact problem. I'm like, but then I won't know if something happens to them and I won't be able to help and they won't, I won't be there for them if they need me. And I and I, I will put up with people's behavior for a long time just out of that guilt. And so the idea of like being I don't know how to be estranged. I'm just learning like how yeah. to actually 
effectively be estranged from a motherfucker who deserves my estrangement. <laughs> this is new information for me, so I appreciate the lesson here. <laughs> well, like, just it could also just mean I'm shit. a monster. Let's be real. I could mean that. And <laughs> no, I, 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 I do occasionally does. grapple with that. I'm like, you know, the, the ease um, with which I'm able to sort of just like talk about it. But it just, it t- it's taken years of years of practice yeah. and reconciliation. Years. But I'll tell you, it also yeah. helps you build up uh, an interesting skin in your interactions with other people. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, people who know me, like people think that I'm nice, but like, uh, I, I, I believe they do anyway. I don't, I don't get a lot of feedback otherwise. But like, <laughs> I definitely don't pursue relationships that seem bad at the outset. Like, I don't. I'm just like, yeah. you know, if I meet somebody and they seem like a terrible friend, that I see them being a terrible friend to other people. Like, I'm not going to ingratiate myself just because there's some other upside. Like, they have a pool or whatever. Like, it's not worth it to me. Not worth <laughs> <Totally>. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, meanwhile, I'm over here. I'm like, this person seems terrible, but if I don't hang out with them, they'll be mad at me. I guess I have to marry them now. Here, here's this wedding ring. All right, now is the part of the time where we move on to recommendations. Uh, I'm not going to do Gabe's whole bit because I can't do it justice with its mild but intensive humor. So I'm just going to say, Rebecca, what recommendations do you have? (laughs) My recommendation is for parents of kids. Uh, If kids want to join you, that's fine, but they might get bored and and not be interested. So I have learned to um, re-engage. First of all, you all know, because I recommend TV shows all the time on this show, like I love watching TV. I love... uh, premium TV shows. I love crappy TV shows. I love HGTV. Like I love SVU. Like I'm into it. I love like all of it. But I have become terrible at watching TV because like everybody else in the world, like I always have the small screen and I'm tweeting and I'm thinking about work or I have my laptop on my lap or I'm doing whatever. And I have discovered a whole new way to become centered, not just around TV, but just to have like a little bit of relaxing time and like use TV for what it's supposed to be used for, which is to give you an escape from your life and like make you, Mm. you know, engage with another world. And that is I have started watching foreign crime dramas with subtitles and I've become completely addicted to them. Uh, My favorite one so far is this Swedish Danish show. Uh, There's been a bunch of other iterations of it. It's called The Bridge, but in Swedish. Braun Braun, the bridge. Um, but what watching mm. that, and Kevin watched it with me, like we learned how to fully engage with a piece of content again. And it's almost like we like did a book club together or something because we couldn't tweet <laughs> while we were watching it. We couldn't text while we were watching it. If someone had to go put a log on the fire or get a can of beer from the fridge, like we had to pause and like, you know, come back. <laughs> and it, we have talked about these these foreign TV shows so much more than we've actually like talked about and engaged with other content that we've like consumed in the last few years because we were really present. So I would really recommend it. If you're not watching this, like, Scandi Noir, it doesn't have to be, like, noir. It could be anything. It could be, I hear there's a great show called Dicta, which is about politics. All this stuff is, like, on Hulu and Netflix and Prime. Try some great subtitled dramas. It will change the way you watch TV, bring some purpose to your relaxation time, and it will actually recharge you. And uh, it will just have a whole new experience with content. And I'm really loving it. So 
I think it's made me a better parent. No, I'm just kidding. It hasn't. It just made me a better TV watcher. But that's good, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's just as important. Um, awesome. I'm going to recommend uh, The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell, which is a baking show from yes. the artist, cookbook author, and Instagram star Christine McConnell. And this is I'm recommending this because uh, I just stumbled upon it. Another friend of mine was watching it. And I was like, tra- I was walking through a room in which it was on TV. And it was one of those things where I stopped and stared and was like, what is this? Why is this woman baking a spider cake? What is happening? And something about the quietness of it and 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 this and it's a cooking show that's basically a lightweight goth pink kitchen cooking show where they where she cooks things like spider cakes and skull muffins and things like that. And it's it sounds a little grim, but if you have a kid who's like in that right in that like sweet spot of middle school goth where they like everything does this be Halloween and cobwebby and death related, uh sort of like Beetlejuice style and they they look for content around that, this is the proper show for them. The curious creations of Christine McConnell. It's just a beautiful it's just a beautiful show. It really is and it's just a pleasure to watch. And it has that same kind of ASMR joy that, like, the Great British Baking Show has or or even Marie Kondo has. And so that's my recommendation for today. She's incredible. Her Instagram is incredible. Her Reddit presence is incredible. I'm a huge fan of her. She's really unbelievable. All right. So that is our show. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask us on air, please leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at momanddadatslate.com and join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Rebecca Lavoie, I am Carvel Wallace. Have a good day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.